Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Welcome back, Crimeaholics. It's your host, Holly, and I am back today with another murder case for you. As you can see from the title of this episode, this case involves the murder of two individuals, and they were a husband and wife, and their case is still unsolved today. I know that some people don't enjoy these unsolved cases because they have no closure, and I have seen a lot of negative reviews given to other podcasts for covering unsolved cases because people crave answers. But I will say that covering these cases serve a purpose, and that purpose is to hopefully bring closure to the families and these victims, and to hopefully have answers come about. The answers are out there, and it's just a matter of getting them. You truly never know who will listen to these stories and realize that they hold a key piece of information. So for that reason, I will continue to mix in unsolved cases into our lineup. These families deserve justice. So without further ado, let's get into the details on the horrific murder of the elderly couple Russell and Shirley Dermond. Russell and Shirley Dermond had been married for 68 beautiful years before they were murdered in May of 2014. Both were originally from New Jersey, and Russell had attended college at Farley Dickinson University in Teaneck, New Jersey. After graduating college, Russell enlisted in the Navy, and he actually fought in World War II. After that chapter of his life was finished, he moved on and began working as an executive for a New York area clock manufacturing company. And it was during this time that he was working at this company that he met his wife, Shirley. Shirley, as I said, was from New Jersey originally as well, and she had attended college at Bernard College in New York, New York. After dating for some time, Russell and Shirley would get married in 1946 and begin their beautiful life together. In total, the couple had four children, three boys and one girl. With his position at the clock company, Russell was able to really provide for his family, so Shirley got to stay home raising their children. In the 80s, Russell retired from the clock company and moved his family to Georgia and began a new business endeavor. Russell began operating a chain of Hardee's franchises in and around the area of Atlanta, Georgia. For those that aren't familiar with what Hardee's is, it is a fast food restaurant chain that was founded in 1960 by a man named Wilbur Hardy. 
They serve your typical fast food kind of food with the burgers, the fries, the shakes, and all that jazz. By this point, their children were older, so they encouraged them to also get into this line of work as well so that they could hand it over to them when they decided to retire. In the mid-90s, Russell finally decided it was time to retire, and he was ready to live the retired life, enjoying his time with Shirley, his children, and their grandchildren. Russell and Shirley had purchased a home that was located right off of Lake Oconee in Georgia, and they had planned to finally live out their retired dreams. In 2000, the Dermans faced a tragic loss, and it was of their oldest son named Mark, and he had been murdered. Their son, Mark, unfortunately struggled with addiction, and it was during a drug deal that he was shot and killed in Atlanta. Thankfully for the Dermans, they got justice for their son. Because the person responsible was arrested quickly and he was sentenced to life in prison. But naturally, that was a huge, devastating blow to the entire family. In 2014, the Dermans were settled in at their new lakeside home in a beautiful gated golf course community located right off that Lake Oconee. This home was absolutely stunning, and it was such a dream for the Dermans. It was located within this little private cove of the lake, and this house was very large. I had read that it was just over 3,000 square feet, which is big for an elderly couple to live in by themselves, But they wanted to make sure that they had enough space for their children and all of their grandchildren to come and visit and stay over during the summer. Almost every summer, their grandchildren would gather at their home and spend time with them. Everything was going really well for the Dermans. They were living out their dreams of retirement together. They had happy and healthy children and grandchildren, and they were involved within their local community. They were involved with their church. They lived in this beautiful home within this safe, guarded community. And the Dermans were extremely social with their neighbors, and they had a lot of friends who loved and adored them. From everything I learned about the Dermans, those who knew and loved them all said that they were just very kind and giving people. They loved to host people over at their home for dinners or meet up with friends for lunch. The two were living there happily ever after. And after working so hard in his life, Russell deserved all of that success and all of that happiness that he was enjoying. During his free time, Russell would go out golfing with friends or people within his family, and he also just enjoyed relaxing at home watching some of his favorite shows. Shirley, on the other hand, she was your typical grandma who, of course, loved to shower her children and grandchildren with endless amounts of love. But she also enjoyed things like gardening. She would play bridge with her friends. And one of her favorite things to do was to get the morning newspaper and then do the daily crossword puzzles. Their peaceful and quiet picture-perfect retirement life would be cut short in early May of 2014. 
On May 3rd, 2014, Shirley and Russell Durbin were supposed to attend a party at a neighbor's home to celebrate the 140th Kentucky Derby. They all had planned to watch the race live and mingle over drinks and good food. When the Dermans never showed up to the party, the couple hosting it really didn't think much of it, and neither did the other neighborhood friends who were there. There was a lot of different possibilities as to why they may have not shown up in the eyes of their neighbors. They figured that they were either busy, something came up, or maybe they were just tired. After all, Russell was 88 years old, and his wife Shirley was 87. I can imagine that at that age, exhaustion sets in pretty easily, and it's not unusual for someone of their age to cancel or back out of plans because they just didn't have the energy to attend. So it seems like everyone just assumed that they changed their mind about attending the party and that they would just catch up with them later. Over the course of a few days, some of the neighbors had tried to call the Dermans just about regular things, not necessarily to check up on them, but just to chat with them over the phone, but they never answered. And some of these neighbors started to notice that they actually hadn't seen the Dermans around for a few days. They hadn't seen them leave their house. They hadn't seen them walking outside. They hadn't seen them driving to the store. Nothing. On Tuesday, May 6th, after not hearing from them for a few days, one of the neighbors thought that it would just be best to go over there to check on them and see how they were doing. The moment they approached their driveway, they knew that something was off. Right there at the end of the driveway was the newspaper from Monday the 5th as well as Tuesday the 6th. The Dermans always picked up their morning paper. Not only did they enjoy reading it, but as I said earlier, Shirley loved to do those crossword puzzles. The Dermans were never known not to get their daily paper, so this really concerned the neighbors. The neighbors also kind of looked over and peeked in at their mailbox to see if they had checked their mail over the course of the weekend and the days after, and they found that the mail from Saturday was still inside the box. So with all of this in mind, they approached the front door of the house and knocked. They waited for Russell or Shirley to answer the door, but they never did. They listened closely to hear if they could hear anything inside the home, but all was silent. They tried the door to the home, and to their surprise, it was left unlocked. And this was also very unusual for Russell and Shirley. They were always very meticulous about locking their doors and their windows. They weren't the type of people to feel comfortable, even though they lived in this quote-unquote safe community, to keep their doors unlocked. So for them to be unlocked really put the neighbors on edge. Not only can they not get in touch with the Dermans, their mail and newspaper were left untouched, now the door is unlocked. So the neighbors opened the door and went inside. And from first glance, everything seemed fine. There wasn't a mess. There wasn't a thing out of place. There wasn't anything out of the ordinary that they could see. 
They found a newspaper from the Friday before in the living room with half of the crossword puzzle done, meaning that Shirley had worked on it at some point before setting it down unfinished. But even though everything seemed okay and in place, they were still getting no answer when they called out their names inside the home. As they began looking further into the home, they looked into Russell and Shirley's bedroom, and they found that both of their cell phones were still in the room. And they also found that Shirley's purse was still there as well. With everything in the home seemingly in its place, minus Shirley and Russell, the neighbors thought that they would go ahead and just look inside the garage to see if their cars were there because maybe the Dermans had rushed out of the house for a family emergency. Maybe they had gone somewhere and if their cars were gone, that would tell them that likely things were okay. But when they opened the garage to their surprise once more, both of the cars were parked inside. And when they stepped further into the garage, they made a horrific discovery. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. On May 6, 2014, after not seeing or hearing from 88-year-old Russell and 87-year-old Shirley Derman, their neighbors entered their home to check on them. When they walked into the garage, they found both of their cars still parked inside. But between the two cars, they found a pool of blood and a headless body. They believed that the body belonged to Russell Derman. They immediately called 911 to report this discovery, and the Putnam County Sheriff's Department rushed to the scene as quickly as possible. When the police and investigators began examining the scene, they found absolutely no sign of forced entry. There didn't appear to be any kind of a struggle within the home, and no household belongings or personal possessions of the Dermans were missing. And the authorities were absolutely shocked over the way in which Russell's body had been left. One thing that was weird to them was the fact that Russell had been almost perfectly decapitated. This entire decapitation appeared like someone really took the time to do this. It wasn't rushed, it wasn't roughly done, and it appeared that whoever did this used his collar as a guide. And not only that, it almost seemed that whoever did this, this wasn't the first time they had ever done it. It looked like this was done by a professional. His body was also found surrounded with towels, which were used to help soak up additional blood so that the blood wouldn't leak out into the driveway, causing neighbors to notice. 
So it's clear here that someone was trying to make it so that he wasn't discovered sooner. When examining the rest of his body, there was no real signs to indicate how exactly he died, and they were unable to locate Russell's head anywhere in the garage, the house, and when they did searches outside for it, they couldn't find it there either. So it is believed that the answers on how Russell died were with his head. Another thing that was odd was that there was no evidence that Russell was even killed right there in the garage where his body was found. Of course, with Russell being found deceased, finding Shirley was their top priority. And just like any other true crime case, the spouse had to be ruled out first. So naturally, Shirley was looked into as potentially having done something to Russell. But she was an 87-year-old woman. The likelihood of her carrying out something like this was very slim. And along the floor of the garage, there was also what appeared to be drag marks, like Russell had been drugged to this area of the garage. There was just no way that Shirley, being the age that she was, and the physical condition that she was, that she could have done this herself. And when considering a potential motive for Shirley to have done something like this, there just wasn't one. The two had no issues. They were happily married. They were living their dream of retirement. There was just no reason for her to have done that to her husband. So she was ruled out pretty much immediately. With the authorities being unable to find Shirley within the home or outside in the wooded area surrounding the home, they concluded that Shirley was likely kidnapped. Now, all of this is happening pretty quickly. The authorities arrive, they do a quick assessment of what they can see of Russell and the ruling out of Shirley being involved. They called in cadaver dogs within an hour of arriving on scene in hopes to not only have them find Shirley, but to also help locate Russell's head. Two hours after the dogs were brought in, the sheriff's office also brought in teams to begin doing an in-depth search of the lake where the home backed up to. And this included dragging the bottom of the lake and even sonar to see if any evidence or Russell's head could be found, and they found nothing. They also started questioning the neighbors to see if any of them had seen or heard anything. They asked about potential people coming and going from the home or suspicious cars that didn't belong, and every neighbor that they spoke with all said that there was nothing out of the ordinary leading up to the discovery of Russell. Everything was quiet, there was no unknown people driving within the neighborhood, and again, this was a gated neighborhood that had security on site. If someone was coming and going that didn't belong, someone would have noticed it. The authorities started to wonder if it was a possibility that Russell and Shirley both were taken away from the home and Russell was killed and then brought back to the home and left in the garage. But the question is why? Why would he be brought back? As we go through this story, you guys will see that there's just so many questions to this case. 
So many times we will wonder why exactly things happened the way that they did or why this happened in general to two seemingly sweet and innocent elderly people. It just doesn't make sense. This home was surrounded by woods, and of course, they were searched time and time again for any and all clues, and the authorities just kept coming up empty-handed. Now, the FBI did get involved in this case very quickly. The Putnam County Sheriff's Office was in serious need of help, and they were pulling out any and all resources that they could. Along with the FBI and the Putnam County Sheriff's Department, other surrounding police departments also were offering any help that they could give. The FBI put up billboards with Shirley's face on them, announcing that she was missing and in serious danger. They were hopeful that this would generate some kind of lead or give them a direction to kind of begin working in, but it didn't. All of their children were also brought in for questioning, and the fact that nobody saw anything out of the ordinary had authorities wondering if this was someone that the Dermans knew. Was this a personal attack? There was no sign of force entry, so did this person let themselves in? Did the Dermans themselves open the door and allow them inside? When looking into the children, they found that there was no motive on why they would want their parents dead. All of their remaining children had a great relationship with their parents. They loved them dearly. And on top of that, none of them were within that area during that weekend. So it just seemed unlikely that they were responsible. One by one, after thorough questioning, the children were ruled out. The investigators questioned anyone who could be within this community, and that included maintenance workers, lawn service people, the security guards, maids, you name it, they questioned them. But again, nothing came of this. Nobody had seen anything, nobody appeared to be responsible, and it seemed like whatever happened to the Dermans was a complete random attack. Through their investigation, they were able to piece together what the Dermans were doing leading up to the time that all of this took place. The Thursday before, which was May 1st, Russell had errands to run that took him into People's Bank just after 2 p.m. After the bank, he went into Publix at 2.26 p.m., where he picked up a few items as well as some prescription medications for Shirley. The surveillance footage from both the bank and the store show a normal Russell. He seemed completely fine. Nothing about his stops or interactions seemed off in any kind of way. His transaction at the bank wasn't unusual. Everything seemed like it normally would. Now, as far as Shirley goes, we know that on Friday, May 2nd, she did complete at least part of that crossword puzzle, which again was part of her daily routine. She loved and looked forward to the newspaper each day for those crossword puzzles. Later that evening, both Shirley and Russell spoke on the phone with one of their sons, and again, this interaction was completely normal. 
They didn't mention any concerns or anything unusual happening around the house. It was just another conversation on any other day. Because of this timeline of Russell's outing and the conversation with their son that evening, the authorities believe that the attack on Russell and Shirley either happened that night or sometime the following day. Now, I will say that there are several different articles that I'm not completely sure are 100% reliable sources, But there were a few reports that state that Russell had been in his pajamas. So potentially this could have happened either late at night on the 2nd or sometime very early in the morning on the 3rd. If these sources are reliable, it's a possibility that Russell was woken up by whoever in the middle of the night. The authorities were completely stumped by this case And not only were they missing Russell's head, which they felt held a key piece of evidence that could tell them how he died, they also didn't even know where exactly he died. There was no specific area within the home that appeared that a murder had taken place. And the scene in the garage was very much where the decapitation had taken place, but not so much the murder. After the medical examiner examined Russell's body, they found that he had gunshot residue on his clothing, and they believed that he had potentially been shot in the head. But again, with no head, they cannot say for certain, and his head has still yet to be found to this very day. But having that gunshot residue on his clothing is exactly why the authorities were questioning where the murder actually had taken place, because there was no area within the home or the garage that had clear blood spatter patterns indicating that someone had been shot there. So where was he shot, and was his body brought back to the house and then decapitated? And I'm sure you're also wondering, if he was shot in the head, why would he have been then decapitated? It is believed that potentially whoever did this took his head so that they wouldn't be linked back to the crime. Potentially the gun that was used in this murder had also been used in a previous crime And if the authorities found the bullet, it would likely lead them straight back to the killer. Or this person may not have been in previous trouble, but knows that bullets can be linked back, so they took the head to cover their tracks. In my opinion, given that the head was nearly perfectly decapitated and not a trace left behind, this seems like a very experienced criminal. During the autopsy, they also noted that there was no cause of death that could be indicated on his body. Once more, leading the medical examiner and authorities to believe that the answers lie with Russell's decapitated head. They also found signs that indicated that Russell had been beaten all over his body. When trying to think of a motive for why anyone would do this, the authorities couldn't find one. Nothing was making sense. 
the Dermans' home hadn't been ransacked. It didn't appear that anything had been taken. Shirley's purse was still left behind with her checkbook and her wallet. Their jewelry within the home hadn't been taken. Their nice luxury cars hadn't been stolen. Everything of value within the home was still there. Their children also really made sure that the authorities knew and understood that the front door being unlocked was completely out of character for their parents. Their parents were crazy good about making sure the doors were locked for the night. And to them, this felt like someone that the Dermans had known and trusted and someone that they would have just likely allowed into their home. But everywhere they looked, there was no evidence to support that theory. When the authorities tried to get the surveillance footage from the front gate of the community, they learned that there was no footage to get because due to a bad storm that had happened two weeks prior, the camera system was completely down and they hadn't gotten it back up and running. And it's so frustrating because this could have potentially really helped them identify any unusual movements during the day or night or any strange car or people lurking about, but there was no footage to recover. They were literally hitting a dead end every single time they turned around. And during all of this time that they're investigating and interviewing people, Shirley Dermond was still missing. They had no clues and nothing to go off of. There had been no ransom phone calls like they thought could have been a possibility. There was no signs pointing one way or another. They were literally stumped. That is until May 16th, when Shirley's body was finally discovered. Fishermen who had been out fishing that day had discovered a body floating face down in the water about five to six miles away from where the Dermans lived. When the authorities arrived, they found that Shirley had two 30-pound cinder blocks tied to her ankles. She also had been found in one of the deepest parts of the lake. It wasn't that she was just there on the shore. No, whoever had done this to her tried to hide her body by not only weighing her down, but by tossing her into the deepest area of the lake in hopes that she would sink to the bottom. And this detail here completely changed the course of investigation. This meant that whoever had taken Shirley had a boat or had some sort of access to a boat. And the fact that they had access to a boat kind of started making sense as to why nobody had seen anyone around the home. If this person had a boat, they'd be able to gain access to the back of the house where nobody could see them coming in. The Dermans had their own dock at the back of their property, even though they didn't have a boat of their own. Someone could have come into that cove where their house was located at night, and it would have been completely hidden because of how dark it is. And this lake wasn't a resident-only lake. It did have public access and public loading ramps for anyone and everyone to utilize. 
Lake Oconee is a huge lake, and so many people go there every single year to enjoy various different water sports. But this begs the question of who this person was that did this. They either were very familiar with the neighborhood or the area. Maybe there's someone who regularly goes to the lake. But as I mentioned earlier, the Dermans lived in a cove that is somewhat off the typical area where visitors of the lake would travel. So maybe this individual studied a map. They knew that they had homes that were worth a lot of money backed up to the shoreline, and maybe they wanted to somehow strike a wealthy person. But the theory of it being about money is just so odd to me because they didn't take anything. They didn't demand a ransom for Shirley. This literally seemed like just a random killing. It just doesn't make sense as to why. And I know I keep saying that, but I'm completely stumped by this case. So Shirley was taken in, obviously, for an autopsy also, and they determined that she had been dead since at least May 6th, which was the day that Russell had been found in the garage. Her cause of death was blunt force trauma to the head. Shirley had several blows to her head with what appeared to be the back of a clawed hammer. Her wounds were so severe and so violent that it seemed like whoever did this was extremely angry. Like with Russell, the authorities didn't believe that this violent attack had taken place within the Dermond house. Again, there was no place within the home or around the home that they found blood evidence to indicate that an attack had taken place there. With Shirley being found in this deep area of the lake, the authorities brought in sonar once more to see if they could locate Russell's head or any other potential murder weapon at the bottom of the lake. And once more, they came up empty-handed. The authorities were doing everything within their power to figure out this case. They were desperate for answers, but there just was nothing. After finding Shirley, this case went cold fast. Despite the effort of Sheriff Sills and countless agencies that were diligently working this case, it went cold. As the years go by and leads pop up here and there, Sheriff Sills has made it his mission to follow up on every single one of them. He responds to all calls and all tips no matter how wild they are. There have been times where internet true crime sleuths thought that maybe this was connected to a serial killer somehow, and Sheriff Sills made sure to look into it. They had psychics reach out to the authorities, which isn't unusual in big publicized cases, but the investigators looked into whatever those psychics called in. There was professors and internet sleuths that were trying to crack this case and was taking really big in-depth dives on this case and had stacks of documents that they gave over to the authorities. And Sheriff Sills welcomed all of the help that these individuals, even the psychics, were attempting to give. 
they didn't turn their backs on potential information like some authorities do. Sometimes we see investigators in these cases don't really like the help of outside sources because they feel like they're more interfering than they are helping. But Sheriff Sills was completely on board and looked into each and every potential finding in hopes that some sort of outside eyes could help crack this case. Maybe they found something that his department missed. Because you truly never know. Some of these leads can be legit. Some of these leads can lead somewhere. Unfortunately, though, so far, none of the leads have brought them any closer to solving the murders. Through the years, there has only been one witness that has ever came forward with information. And this witness said that they had seen a man in the Dermans' yard on the day that they believe the murders took place. But this witness was unable to give any kind of description of the man, so it really wasn't much help to the investigators. No matter how hard this case has been looked into, the motive still remains a mystery. I really admire Sheriff Sill's dedication to this case. Any opportunity that he gets to share the story and ask for tips, he takes it. He believes that someday his hard work will pay off and someone will come forward with information. This is a horrific case, and he's hopeful that the information that someone out there is withholding will weigh on them enough and break them down enough to come forward. Obviously, someone knows something, and I wouldn't doubt if multiple people know something, To me, this crime seems like one that had to have been carried out by more than one person, and the more people involved in cases, the more likely someone will tell someone, or the more likely someone will slip up somewhere and get caught. When considering theories on this case, one of the biggest ones is that their murders was somehow connected to their son's murder in 2000. This theory has pretty much been ruled out. Of course, nothing can be 100% ruled out until more details and evidence emerges, but Sheriff Sills feels pretty confident that these two are not connected in any way. Robbery is another theory that people have, and while I feel like that could have been it, there was nothing that was taken. On top of that, if someone wanted to rob someone, The Dermans weren't the richest in the neighborhood. Their house was a million-dollar home, but there was so many other homes within this neighborhood that were worth more, and the owners had a lot more assets than what the Dermans themselves had. But I'm just over here hung up on the fact that, again, nothing was taken from the home. Another theory is that this was the work of a hitman, This to me does seem plausible given that this crime was executed to near perfection. From the lack of a messy crime scene to barely any evidence left behind to the near perfect decapitation of Russell, this seems like the most thought out plan. This seems like it wasn't rushed in any kind of way. No mistakes were really made. Everything was done to near perfection. 
And I say near perfection because there are reports that the authorities did find something in the garage, but they have never said what. And obviously, they have to protect the case and hold things close to the vest. But if this was the work of a hitman, why would someone hire a hitman to kill them? Now, I will say that the authorities don't believe that this was a hitman. That while Russell's murder was a pretty thought out and well executed murder, Shirley's just wasn't. The 30 pound cinder blocks on her feet weren't enough to keep her weighted down. They feel that a true hitman or a true career criminal with experience in murders would have known that two 30 pound cinder blocks wouldn't do the trick. But I don't know. I am curious to hear what you guys think, so please make sure that you are in our Facebook group so that you can let me know. But I do have to wonder, if it was a hitman, why would someone have a hit out on them? While researching this case, I did find some people theorizing that potentially this was someone from their past. Being that they were 88 and 87 years old, that's a long life to live to never have made anyone mad. Maybe they made the wrong person upset within their work world. Maybe a scorned employee and this person has held on to grudges for years and then they finally decided to strike. I could see that maybe being the case, but I'm not 100% sold on that theory. Sheriff Sills has stated that the theory that makes the most sense to him is that this case is a case of extortion. That someone had thought that the Dermans had something that they didn't and that when the person or people responsible learned that they truly didn't have what they thought, maybe that is when they killed them. To me, this theory also seems somewhat plausible due to how violent the attack was on Shirley. We know that she was beat in the head with a claw-like hammer, and it was a very vicious attack that coincides with someone being mad or angry. Maybe they both had been held and demanded things that they couldn't give. Maybe Russell was shot in hopes that Shirley would give over whatever that person thought they had, and when she couldn't because they truly didn't have it, maybe that's when they became so angry and so enraged that they attacked her in such a violent way. I truly do not believe that this was a random occurrence. I don't think someone just stumbled upon the house and decided to go inside and kill these two people. I think there is a true reason behind it all, and we just haven't figured out what that reason is yet. Which is one of the reasons why we should still continue to share this story. The more awareness, the better, because someone knows something and there is a killer or killers on the loose that need to be arrested. Many people within the community feared for their safety since they didn't know why the Dermans were attacked. They're worried that they may be next and many people had vacation homes in the area that they stopped going to out of fear. 
One of the most recent articles I found on this case was published in September 2022. And in this article, Sheriff Sills discusses some newer technology that wasn't available in 2014 when they were murdered. He's hopeful that this will help solve the case or at least narrow down people who were around the Dermans' home. He also states that the towels that were found around Russell were sent off to the Georgia Crime Lab where they requested DNA testing on them. Sheriff Sills remains hopeful that they will be able to solve this case and bring closure to the family. The sheriff also said that if the people who committed to help with the reward fund are still willing to help, the reward for information that leads to an arrest and conviction is $45,000. So please, if you or anyone you know has information, please contact the Putnam County Sheriff's Office at 706-485-8557. This family deserves answers, and Sweet Shirley and Russell deserve justice. Crimeaholics, if you're not already a part of our private Facebook group, make sure you find it by searching Crimeaholics Podcast Discussion Group. In there, we share all information and pictures pertaining to the cases that we cover, and we also encourage all of our members to share all things true crime. You can also follow us over on Instagram at crimeaholics.podcast. And if you'd like more true crime content, you can follow me on TikTok at the same username of crimeaholics.podcast. Lastly, if you wish to keep up with me personally and see what I'm doing in life, you can follow me over on Instagram at crimeaholly. Crimeaholics, unfortunately, that is all the information I have on this case. Until next time, be aware and take care. Bye-bye.